Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the first episode. My name is Courtney. I am a dog trainer based out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I run a business called Doocy Dog Walking, where we do all things pack hikes and dog training. So I have a lot of super fun stuff planned for today, but first, let me introduce you to the podcast. So I started a live streaming show on my business Facebook page, which is Doocy Dog Walking, if you ever want to check it out. Uh, and I called it Coffee with Courtney, and so I would sit usually in my car with a cup of coffee and a dog, and I would talk about a certain topic, whether it be dog shaming, or leash training, or rehoming dogs, or whatever it might be, and I would just sit there and shoot the shit, and I really enjoyed it. I've done it for the past couple of years, and I wanted to make it a more in-depth version on this podcast. And I'm super stoked. I'm going to be interviewing other dog trainers, dog owners about their experiences, and hopefully you guys will get a wealth of information from this podcast. Today, I guess I should start out with, what am I drinking today? What kind of coffee am I drinking today? I wanted to start off with something really cool and exciting, which is this dark roast that I've been brewing at home recently, but um, I ran out of coffee creamer. And I'm a basic bitch, and I need my cream and sugar. So I ran to Starbucks really quick. Also, it's like noon, and I just got out of my pajamas. Please don't judge me. I have the day off. <laughs> so I ran to Starbucks, and I just got a nitro cold brew. So I will be nice and jittery for you guys today, and I'm super stoked. Not going to talk too much about coffee, but I just need you guys to know that I'm drinking coffee, and you should join me. Grab a nice cup. Hopefully you're starting this with your morning, and let's get into it. What I want to talk about today is the fact that dog owners are ashamed for everything. Oh my god, every decision that you make, someone online is going to shame you for it. And that's sad, and it's really frustrating. A lot of times when I'm first talking to a potential client, or even a current client of mine, they have so much built up shame and embarrassment for not having the perfect dog or for doing this or for not feeding raw or for whatever it might be. And it's kind of like, hey, chill. It's okay. This is a safe space. You only know what you know. And so a lot of the work that I do with people is just rebuilding that confidence that like, hey, you're a badass. You do know what you're doing and you're reaching out for help, and you're doing everything in your power to give your dog the best life ever. And I think that's all that we can really expect from people, is that they do everything in their power to be the best dog owner. So while I could sit here and talk for probably hours about what dog owners get shamed about, I only have like a few topics with me today. If you hear any rustling, it's because I wrote notes. It's my first episode. Cut me a break, guys. I guess I should also say that I am not one to censor myself, and I have a nasty sailor's mouth, so if you're my mother, or if you're someone who doesn't particularly like when women swear, then you probably shouldn't listen to this podcast, and that's totally okay if you don't want to. Uh, but just know that if you have kids, little kids around, I have a potty mouth. I apologize in advance, but I do have really pertinent and important information that I can share with you guys. So if you can stick through it, then definitely stay with me. I promise it'll be worth it. So the first thing that I want to talk about in regards to shaming people is something that I see 
all of the time, and it's something that I used to participate in all the time, and that's shaming people for rehoming their pets. Now, this is a really touchy subject because there are millions of dogs sitting in shelters right now for whatever reason, and some of those reasons might be really stupid, and some of those people, okay, maybe they deserve to be shamed, but I think most of the time what it comes down to is a lack of education. And so I'm going to share a story about me and my instance of rehoming and my experience with rehoming pets. So a really long time ago, it's like five years ago now, I was working in corporate finance. It's weird to think about that that's the life that I would led, live, lived, led, whatever. It's weird to think that that's the life that I had. But I was being fired from my job, and i that was when I decided to start my business. But in order to start my business, I had to take a severe pay cut, because I decided to take a job at a dog daycare, which meant that I could no longer afford to live in my apartment, in which I had two cats. So I had to move back in with my parents, and my mom absolutely hates cats, so she said, no cats, Courtney, no cats at all. Now, it should also be noted that at this time, I had been religiously volunteering to walk dogs and to pet cats at the local animal shelter, and I was the kind of person that consistently shamed people and judged people when they brought in their pets that they could no longer keep, and I was a very strong advocate for adopt, don't shop. All of this is important, I promise. And so... For me, I was like, well, shit, like, now I'm one of these horrible people that has to rehome their pets because they're moving, but, you know, this is, this is the card that I've been dealt. This is what I had to deal with. It wasn't an issue of lack of funds. It wasn't an issue of me, you know, like, not being able to try my best. It was, like, literally I was going from about $40,000 a year to about $10,000 a year in salary, and because of that, I had to move back in with my parents, who had a strict no-pet policy, which I had to respect. I wasn't going to be paying rent, so yeah, I was going to listen to what they had to say. And at this time, I had two cats, and one of them was special needs. And so I had about a three-month period where I had time to find them a home, and so I did my very best to find them a home. And it kind of came down to the point where I couldn't find them a home by myself, so I had to take them back to the shelter that I was volunteering at and kind of give them back to that shelter. And let me tell you, that was the single hardest thing that I've ever had to do. It was heartbreaking. I still think about these cats almost every single day. It was just absolutely devastating, and I was angry. I was angry at myself. I was angry at my mother. But mostly at myself, because I was that person who wasn't doing everything in their power to take care of their pets. Now that I look back on it, I can kind of see objectively and see that when I was living with these cats, I was not giving them a good home. I was severely depressed. I was living like a hoarder, you know, and I'm sure that they're better off wherever they are now. I hate not knowing where they are. But I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing, which is helping countless animals now, 
if it wasn't for the sacrifice that I had to make. You know, I'm a strong believer that everything happens for a reason. And I truly, truly, truly believe that this was just something that I had to go through. Unfortunately, I hate it. I hate that I gave these cats like a false sense of security and then I had to end up bringing them back into a shelter. That was absolutely devastating for me. But because of that, I was able to really learn and grow. And, you know, I kind of stopped that judgment, that constant judgment that I had of other people who were coming in because they were moving or because their kids were suddenly allergic or they just couldn't keep up with it. And it was kind of just like, I, I had to learn the really, really hard way that pet ownership isn't something that can just be done on a whim. It's something that has to be done with a lot, a lot, a lot of thought. And I think, unfortunately, we live in a society, if we're going to go down that road, I think we live in a society where pets are kind of seen as disposable sometimes. Um, But both of the cats that I had got, it was just like I was volunteering that day. I happened to go to the shelter, and I was like, I'm going to bring this cat home. Without thought, you know... I mean, even if I had thought about it, I had, at the time, a steady job. I had an apartment on my own. But things happen. And I think we need to be a little bit nicer to people and a little bit more understanding to people. Because making that decision to rehome your pets or to return them to a shelter or to return them to a rescue, that shit ain't easy. Holy shit. Like, I can't even describe the amount of turmoil that I went through making that decision, showing up to the shelter, and admitting to somebody that I wasn't the right home for this, for these cats. And that's hard. But, you know, I kind of commend people who are able to kind of be introspective like that and say to themselves, you know what, I'm not the right home for this dog. Or maybe I shouldn't be a pet owner. Or I'm not in the right mental space. I was not in the right mental space to own cats. Let's be serious. I was living like a hoarder. It was disgusting. It was sad. And I hate that I put any living being or creature through that. But I know better now. And I know what I can expect for myself and what I'm able to provide for pets in the future when I am ready to get another pet. What I'm getting at here is that shaming people for the decisions that they make isn't cool. And it's not going to change anyone's mind if you make them embarrassed. It's just going to completely shut them down. Now, if we're talking about racist and homophobic people and uh, certain members of our society, yes, they should be shamed. (laughs) But in this instance, where we're talking about pet owners, I don't believe that pet owners should be shamed at all because the reality of the situation is our shelter system and our rescue situation is purely the way it is because of a lack of resources and a lack of education shelters give away dogs to people without doing a lot of research rescues do the same breeders do the same it's all an issue of lack of education And so it's my job as a pet professional to educate as many people as I possibly can. 
Now, am I am I sitting here and blaming shelters and rescues and breeders for the issues that we have? No, absolutely not. It's a whole societal issue, and it's something that we can only work on ourselves with. And so, you know, I always urge people, you know, I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, we're like the we have like the highest volume of puppy mills. Um, I didn't know anything about puppy mills when I was growing up. You know, when my sister started going to college and my mom started getting pets, which is funny, um, <laughs> my mom started getting dogs, we went to Amish breeders because that's what's available and that's what we knew. And we didn't know, I mean, this was 14 years ago, so we didn't know if it was a puppy mill. We didn't know what puppy mills were. We were just like, these are the dogs that we want. We found a local breeder and we went to them. Would I recommend my parents going to them again? Absolutely not. But at the time, we didn't know any better. And now I know a lot more. And so if my mom ever decides that she wants another dog, which she won't because she doesn't like animals, I know I'm the black sheep of my family. I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> but I know better now. And so it's our job as people who know a lot about pets and about dogs and about cats and about whatever to educate our friends and family about what's going on. So since I've touched a little bit on the whole shelter versus breeder situation, I want to get into that a little bit because that's something that is also a super, super duper hot topic. Wow. Eighth grade me just got like hard eyes saying hot topic. That's pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so as I kind of mentioned before, you know, I used to volunteer at a shelter. It became like way too political and corporate for me uh, because when I first started, it was a no kill shelter and then it became kind of a kill shelter. Um, and so I left immediately because I couldn't handle the fact that if I came in, a lot of shit went down, and so I just wasn't able to handle it, so I left the, the shelter. There was a time in my life when I would see people getting dogs from breeders, and I'll give a really good example. My friend Mary, uh, she had wanted a French Bulldog her whole life, and so when she was in a place where she could finally get a dog, she got a French Bulldog from a breeder, and I hated her for it. I was so mad at her for getting a dog from a breeder because of course she could have just gotten a dog a Frenchie from a shelter and I thought she was being irresponsible I I was mad I was mad and Mary knows this I've talked to her about this before <laughs> but you know since I've started working with dogs and I've seen the pros of having a very very well-bred dog I understand the want and the need and the desire to get a purebred dog with very good genetics because realistically dogs that are in shelters usually have health problems, behavioral problems, a whole list of issues that some people just aren't equipped to handle. And that's okay. It's okay to admit that you don't want to take on the behavioral needs of a dog that's been rescued or abused or whatever it's okay to say i it's okay to get a dog from a breeder is where i'm going with this <laughs> now am i saying just go to any breeder 
and get any dog? No. Because just like there are bad people in the world, there are bad breeders in the world. And this, again, (laughs) is where education comes in. And this is where education is so incredibly important. There are breeders, especially in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, who breed just to make money. They don't look at anything other than here's an un here's an intact male and an intact female let's breed them and dollar dollar bills y'all right (laughs) there are breeders that do that but there are also breeders who breed to enhance the breed of the dog what does that mean that means that if you have a field lab which are the taller and skinnier labrador retrievers that you see they're used for hunting usually, right? So they have that natural instinct of retrieving the animal that you shot or whatever, or that you impaired and bringing it to you. A good breeder will take intact males and females who naturally have those abilities and they will breed them to enhance that natural instinct. They will also look at anything medical. So again, talking about Labrador retrievers, they often have hip and joint issues. Uh, Golden retrievers often have a lot of issues with cancer. So a responsible breeder will breed, try to breed out those issues so that when they're having new litters, those litters are less likely to have these issues. These breeders are actively working to make the Labrador Retriever, the Golden Retriever, the French Bulldog, whatever it is, they are working to make that breed a healthier, longer lasting, better behaved breed of dog. And those are the breeders that you should get from. On the other side of the spectrum, there are good and bad rescue organizations and there are good and bad animal shelters. Now, sometimes when you see a dog in need, your last thought process is, do I want to support this organization? Do I want to support this rescue? Your first instinct is going to be, I need to get this dog out of this shitty situation. And I totally understand that. I think that the way that a lot, not all of them, but I think the way that a lot of shelters and rescues are run are not up to what my standards would be. (laughs) I think a lot of rescues and shelters, understandably, are just trying to push dogs out as quickly as possible, rather than researching the owners, making sure the owners are a good fit, making sure the owner and the dog mesh well and have the same kind of lifestyle. And I totally understand that. It makes a lot of sense. Uh, And like I said before, I think the biggest issue in our country, first of all, is overpopulation, and that's why spay and neuter is so important. This spaniard is going to be another topic for a whole separate podcast. I'm going to have a colleague of mine on. But regardless, I think the two main issues in our shelter and rescue systems are a lack of education, which is when I talked about rehoming before, and overpopulation. And how can we help with overpopulation and education? Good breeders and good dog owners. And I know that sounds counterintuitive because I'm saying to help the overpopulation issue that we support good breeders, but if we support good breeders rather than the backyard breeders, the accidental litters, 
the Amish farms, the puppy mills, whatever, people who are breeding just to breed, just for money, we are helping that problem of overpopulation and of dogs that just have like consistent medical issues and behavioral issues because at the end of the day, although dogs are often a product of their environment, they are also a product of who raises them. So it is my job as a pet professional to do everything in my power that I can to educate people on these sorts of issues. There's a million different things on the internet. So it's your job as a pet owner to sift through them, to find what works for you. And if you can't discern between what's right and what's wrong, reach out to a professional. That's why we're here. Talk to your vet, talk to your dog walker, talk to your friends and family and figure out what you think is actually right and what is wrong. So what can we do as pet owners to educate ourselves and to help solve this problem of overpopulation and people consistently rehoming their pets and backyard breeders and all of the stuff that's bad in the world? Educate yourself and others. You can educate people without shaming them and without being passive aggressive and without being shady. And I know once you have a wealth of knowledge, your first instinct is to be like, I'm a know-it-all. That's me, bitch. That's, I sometimes happen to do that. And that's okay. But just know that it's often not well received. But once you have this wealth of knowledge, spread it. Oh my God, so many people need to learn. So many people need to know these different things. And so when you learn something and when you find something from a reputable source, spread it. Share it on Facebook, share it on Twitter. Talk about it at the next dinner party, which probably won't be for another year because of the coronavirus. But you know what I mean. Spread that information. Let people know how bad backyard breeders are and how bad Amish breeders are and all these things. Now, if someone has already gotten a dog from a backyard breeder or an Amish farm, maybe don't shame them after the fact because there's not really anything that they can do. They've already supported that business. They've already done this. You can have that discussion with them about, hey, maybe next time do X, Y, and Z instead of this. I have clients that have gotten their dogs from backyard breeders. They're really good dogs. But it's not my place to tell them what to do. All I can do is educate them and share the information and the wealth of knowledge that I have. So that's going to be it for today, guys. Thank you so much for sticking around with me. If you check out the show notes, I'll have links to all of my social medias. Please don't forget to subscribe and rate on iTunes. If you end up rating me on iTunes, shoot me a screenshot to my email address, which will be in the show notes, and I'll send you an indie sticker. If you don't know what an indie sticker is, check out my Instagram. It's coffee underscore with Courtney, and you'll be able to see what I'm talking about. It's hilarious and funny, and I would super appreciate if you guys rated my podcast because it helps me get the word out. All right, I'll see you guys in the next one.